0: Story six of Cape Cod Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Wales. Cape Cod Stories by Joseph C. Lincoln. Story six The Mark on the Door one nice moonlit evening as me and cap'n jonadab and peter t having for a wonder a little time to ourselves and free from boarders was settin on the starboard end of the piazza smokin when who should heave in sight but cap'n airy hedge and obed nickerson They'd come over from Orem that day on some fish business, and have drove down to Wellmouth Port on purpose to put up at the old home for the night, and shake hands with me and Jonadab. We was mighty glad to see him. now, I tell you. They'd had supper up at the Fishman's at the Centre, so after Peter T. had gone in and fetched out a handful of cigars, we settled back for a good talk. They wanted to know how business was, and we told them after spell somebody mentioned the tods and i spun my yarn about the bulky mare and the greased lightning it tickled him most to death specially obed ho ho says he that's funny ain't it them power-boats are great things ain't they i had an experience in one uh, rather in two a spell ago when i was livin' over to west bayport my doin's was with gasoline though not electricity was something of an experience maybe you'd like to hear it the way i come to be over there on the bay side of the cape was like this west bayport where my shanty and the big davidson summer place and the saunders house was used to be called punkasset which is injun for the last place the almighty made and if you've read the circlers of the land company that's boomin punkasset this year you'll remember that the principal attraction of them diggings is the magnificent water privileges twas the water privileges that had hooked me clams was thick on the flats at low tide and fish was middlin plenty in the bay i had two weirs set one a deep-water weir a half-mile beyond the bar and t'other just inside of that that i could drive out to at low water a two-mile drive twas too the tide goes out a long ways over there. I had a powerboat, seven-and-a-half-power gasoline, that I kept anchored back of my nighest inn weir in deep water, and a little skiff on shore to row off to her inn. The yawn begins one morning when I went down to the shore after clams. I noticed the signs then. They was stuck up right across the path. No trespassin' on these premises. And... All persons are forbidden crossing this property under penalty of the law. But, land, I'd used that shortcut cut ever since I'd been in Bayport, which was more'n a year, and old man Davidson and me was good friends, so I calculated the signs was intended for boys, and hove ahead without paying much attention to them. Of course, I knew that the old man, and what was more important, the old lady, had gone abroad and that the sun was expected down but that didn't come to me at the time neither i was heading home about eight with two big dweeners full of clams and had just climbed the bluff and swung over the fence into the path when somebody remarks here you i jumped and turned round and there beating across the field in my direction was an exhibit which it turned out later was ticketed with the name of alpheus Vandergraf parker davidson alley for short and alley was a good deal of an exhibit in his way his togs were cut to fit his spars and he carried em well no wrinkles at the peak or sag along the boom his figurehead was more an average regular and his hair was combed real nice the part in the middle of it looked like it had been laid out with a plumb line also, he had on white shoes and glory-hallelujah stockings. Altogether, he was alone with the price of admission and what some folks, I suppose, would have called a handsome enough young feller, but I didn't like his eyes. They looked kind of tired, as if they'd seen about all there was to see of some kinds of life. Twenty-four-year-old eyes hadn't ought to look that way. But I wasn't interested in eyes just then. All I could look at was teeth. There they was, a lovely set of em in the mouth of the ugliest specimen of a bow-legged bulldog that ever tried to hang itself at the end of a chain. Allie was holding to the end of the chain with both hands, and they were full at that. The dog stood up on his hind legs, and pawed the air with his front ones, and his tongue hung out and dripped. You could see he was yearning, just dyin' to taste of a middle-aged longshoreman by the name of Obed Nickerson i stared at the dog and he stared at me i don't know which one of us was the most interested here you says allie again what are you crossing this field for i heard him but i was too busy counting teeth to pay much attention you ought to feed that dog i says absent-minded like he's hungry humph says he well maybe he'll be fed in a minute did you see those signs yes says i i saw em they're real neat and pretty. Pretty?" He fairly choked. He was so mad. Why, you cheeky, long-legged jay, he says, I'll—what are you crossing this field for? So's to get to the side of it, I guess, says I. I was riling up a bit myself. You see, when a feller's been made of a schooner, like I've been in my day, it don't come easy to be called names. It looked for a minute as if Allie was going to have a fit, but he choked it down. Look here, he says, I know who you are, just because the governor has been soft enough to let you countrymen walk all over him, it don't follow that I'm going to be. I'm boss here for this summer. My name's, he told me his name, and how his dad had turned the place over to him for the season, and a lot more. I put those signs up, he says, to keep just such fellers as you are off my property. They mean that you ain't to cross the field understand i understood i was mad clean through but i'm law abiding generally speaking all right i says picking up my dreeners and startin for the farther fence i won't cross it again you won't cross it now says he go back where you come from that was a grain too much i told him a few things he didn't wait for the benediction take him prince he says dropping the chain Prince was willin'. He fetched a kind of combination hurrah and growl, and let out for me full tilt. I don't feed good fresh clams to dogs, as a usual thing, but that mouth had to be filled. I waited till he was almost on me, and then I let drive with one of the dreamers. Prince and a couple of pecks of clams went up in the air like a busted bombshell, and I broke for the fence I'd started for i hung on to the other dreener though just out of principle but i had to let go of it after all the dog come out of the collision looking like a plate of scrambled eggs and took after me harder than ever shedding shells and clam juice something scandalous when he was right at my heels i turned and fired the second dreener and by judas i missed him well principle's all right but there's times when even the best of us has to hedge i simply couldn't reach the farther fence so i made a quick jib and put for the one behind me and i couldn't make that either prince was taking mouthfuls of my overalls for appetizers there was a little pine tree in the lot and i give one jump and landed in the middle of it i went up the rest of the way like i'd forgot something and then i clung on to the top of that tree and panted and swung around in circles while the dog hopped up and down on his hind legs and fairly sobbed with disappointment, Allie was rolling on the grass. Oh dear me! says he between spasms. That was the funniest thing I ever saw. I'd seen lots of funnier things myself, but twan't worth while to argue. Besides, I was busy hanging onto that tree. Twas an awful little pine, and the bendiest one I ever climbed. Allie rolled around a while longer, and then he sets up and comes over. Well, Reuben, says he, looking up at me on the roost, you're a good deal handsomer up there than you are on the ground. I guess I'll let you stay there for a while as a lesson to you. Watch him, Prince. And off he walks. You everlasting clothes-pole, I yells after him. If it want not for that dog of yours, I'd he turns round kind of lazy and says oh you've got no kick comin he says i allow you to er um, ornament my tree and taint every hayseed i let do that and away he goes and for an hour that had no less'n sixty thousand minutes in it i clung to that tree like a green apple with Prince settin open mouth underneath waitin for me to get ripe and drop just as I was figuring that I was growing fast to the limb, I heard somebody calling my name. I unglued my eyes from the dog and looked up, and there, looking over the fence that I tried so hard to reach, was Barbara Saunders, Captain Eben Saunders' girl, who lived in the house next door to mine. Barbara was always a pretty girl, and that morning she looked prettier than ever, with her black hair blowing every which way and her black eyes snapping full of laugh. "'Barber Saunders in a white shirt-waist and an old mended skirt "'could give ten links in a beauty-race to any craft in silks and satins that ever I see, "'and beat em hull down at that.' "'Why, well, Mr. Nickerson,' she calls, "'what are you doing up in that tree?' "'That was a kind of a puzzler to answer offhand, "'and I don't know what I'd have said if friend Allie hadn't hove in sight just then "'and saved me the trouble.' He comes strolling out of the woods with a cigarette in his mouth, and when he saw Barbara he stopped short and looked and looked at her. And for a minute she looked at him, and the red come up in her cheeks like a sunrise. "'Beg pardon, I'm sure,' says Allie, tossing away the cigarette. "'May I ask if that, er uh, deep-sea gentleman in my tree is a friend of yours?' Barbara kind of laughed and dropped her eyes and said, "'Why, yes, I was.' by jove he's luckier than i thought says Allie, never taking his eyes from her face and what do they call him please when they want him to answer that's what he asked though mind you he'd said he knew who i was when he first saw me it's mr nickerson says barbara he lives in that house there the one this side of ours oh a neighbor that's different awfully sorry i'm sure prince come here uh, nickerson, FOR THE LADY'S SAKE, WE'LL CALL IT OFF. YOU MAY, um VACATE THE PERCH. I WAITED TILL HE'D GOT A CLOVE-HITCH ON TO PRINCE. HE HAD TO GIVE HIM ONE OR TWO WELTS OVER THE HEAD FOR HE COULD DO IT. THE DOG ACTED LIKE HE'D BEEN CHEATED. THEN I PRIED MYSELF LOOSE FROM THAT BLESSED LIMB AND SHINNED DOWN TO the SOLID GROUND. MY, BUT I WAS BILING INSIDE. "'Tain't pleasant to be made a show afore folks, but twas the feller's condescending what excuse you got for livin' manners that riled me most. I picked up what was left of the dreamers and walked over to the fence. That field was just sowed, as you might say, with clams, if they ever sprouted, to make a tip-top codfish pasture. "'You see,' says Allie, talking to Barbara, the governor told me he'd been plagued with trespasses, so I thought I'd give him a lesson. But neighbors, when they're scarce as ours are, ought to be friends. Don't you think so, Miss, uh, uh, Nickerson, says he, introduce me to our other neighbor? So I had to do it, though I didn't want to. He turned loose some soft soap about not realizing afore what a beautiful place the Cape was. I thought it was time to go but miss saunders hadn't answered my question yet says ally don't you think neighbors ought to be friends miss saunders barbara blushed and laughed and said she guessed they had then she walked away i started to follow but ally stopped me look here nickerson says he i let you off this time but don't try it again do you hear ah here says i you and that hyena of yours have had all the fun this morning some day, maybe that boot'll be on the other leg. Barbara was waiting for me. We walked on together without speaking for a minute, and then I says to myself like, So that's old man Davidson's son, is it? Well, he's the prize peach in the crate, he is. Barbara was thinking, too. He's very nice looking, isn't he? says she. Twas what you'd expect a girl to say, but I hated to hear her say it. I went home and marked a big chalk mark on the inside of my shanty door signifying that I had a debt to pay some time or t'other. So that's how I got acquainted with Allie V. P. Davidson, and what's full as important, that's how he got acquainted with Barbara Saunders. Shutting an innocent canary bird up in the same room with a healthy cat is a more or less risky proposition for the bird. Same way, if you take a pretty country girl who's been to sea with her dad most of the time, and tied to the apron-strings of a deef old aunt in a house three miles from nowhere, you take that girl, I say, and then fetch along as next-door neighbor a good-looking young shark like Allie, with a hogshead of money and a blame-sight too much experience, and that's a risky proposition for the girl. Allie played his cards well, he had set into a good many similar games before, I judge, He begun by doing little favors for Phoebe Ann. She was the divante I mentioned, and twai long afore he was as solid with the old lady as a cage anchor. He had a way of dropping into the Saunders' house for a drink of water or a slab of that delicious apple pie, and with every drop he got better acquainted with Barbara. Captain Eben was on a voyage to Buenos Aires, and wouldn't be home till fall, twan't likely. I didn't see a great deal of what was going on, being too busy with my fish-wears and clammin' to notice. Allie and me weren't exactly David and Jonathan, owing I judge to our informal introduction to each other. But I used to see him scooting round in his launch. Twenty-five foot, she was, with a little mahogany cabin, and the land knows what— and the servants in the big house told me yarns about his owning a big steam-yacht with a sailing-master and crew which was cruising round newport somewheres but busy as i was i seen enough to make me worried there was a good deal of whispering over the saunders gate after supper bang 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 there was a good deal of whispering over the saunders back gate after supper and once when I come up over the bluff from the shore, bang, bang. And once when I come up over the bluff from the shore sudden, they was sitting together on a rock, and he had his arm round her waist. I dropped a hint to Phoebe Ann, but she shut me up quicker'n a snap hinge matchbox. Allie had charmed Auntie all right, and so it drifted along till September one monday evening, about the middle of the month i went over to phoebe ann's to borrow some matches Baba wasn't in gone out to lock up the hens or some such fool excuse but phoebe was bustin full of joy captain eben had arrived in new york a good deal than was expected and would be home on thursday morning. he's going from boston to provincetown on the steamer wednesday says phoebe "'He's got some business over there. "'Then he's coming home from Provincetown on the early train. "'Ain't that splendid?' "'I thought it was splendid, for more reasons than one, "'and I went out feeling good. "'But as I come around the corner of the house, "'there was somebody by the back gate, "'and I heard a girl's voice saying, "'Oh, no, 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 I can't, I can't. "'If I hadn't trod on a stick, maybe I'd have heard more, "'but the racket broke up the party. barbara come hurrying past me into the house,' by the light from the back door i see her face twas white as a clamshell, and she looked frightened to death thinks i that's funny it's a providence even's coming home so soon and the next day i saw her again and she was just as white and wouldn't look me in the eye wednesday though i felt better for the servants on the davidson place told me that allie had gone to boston on the morning train to be gone for good, and that they was going to shut up the house and haul up the launch in a day or so. Early that afternoon, as I was coming from my shanty to the bluff on my way to the shore after dinner, I noticed a steam yacht at anchor two miles or so off the bar. She must have come there since I got in, and I wondered who she was. Then I see a dinghy with three men aboard rowing in, and I walked down the beach to meet them. Sometimes I think there is such things as what old Parson Danvers used to call dispensations. This was one of them. There was a feller in a uniform cap steering the dinghy, and believe it or not, I'll be everlastingly keel-hauled if he didn't turn out to be Ben Henry, who was second mate with me on the old sea-foam. He was surprised enough to see me, and glad, too, but he looked sort of worried.' Well, Ben, says I, after we had shook hands. Well, Ben, I says, my shanty ain't exactly the United States Hotel, for gilt paint and bill of fare, but I have got eight or ten gallons of homemade cherry rum, and some turbacker and an extra pipe. You fall into my wake. I'd like to, Obed, he says, I'd like to almighty well, but I've got to go up to the store, if there is such a thing in this metropolis, and buy some stuff that I forgot to get in Newport. "'You see, we got orders to sail in a tearin' hurry, "'and send one of them foremast hands to the store,' says I. "'You got to come with me.' "'He hemmed and hawed a while, but he was dry, "'and I shook the cherry-rum-jug at him, "'figurative speaking, so finally he give in. "'You buy so-and-so,' says he to his men, passing him a ten-dollar bill, "'and mind, you don't know nothin'. "'If anybody asks, remember that yacht's the Mermaid.' m u r m a d e he says and she belongs to mr jones of mobile georgia so the men went away and me and ben headed for my shanty where we moored abreast of each other at the table with a jug between us for a buoy so to speak we talked old times and spun yarns and the tide went out in the jug considerable sight faster than was ebbing on the flats after a spell, I asked him about the man who owned the yacht. Who? Oh, er, Brown, he says. Why, he's... Brown, says I. Thought you said twas Jones. Well, that kind of upset him, and he took some cherry rum to grease his memory. Then I asked more questions, and he tried to answer em and got worse tangled than ever. Finally, I had to laugh. "'Look here, Ben,' says I, "'you can't fetch port on that tack. The truce ten mile astern of you. "'Who does own that yacht, anyway?' "'He looks at me, mighty solemn, "'cherry-rum solemn. "'Obed,' he says, "'you're a good feller. "'Don't you give me away now, "'or I'll lose my berth. "'The man that owns that yacht's named Davidson, "'and he's got a summer place right in this town.' "'Davidson,' says I, davidson not young ally davidson that's him says he and he's the blankety-blankest meanest low-down cub on earth there i feel some better give me another drink to take the taste of him out of my mouth but young davidson's gone to boston i says went this morning that be hanged says ben all i know is that i got a dispatch from him at newport on monday afternoon tellin' me to have the yacht abreast this town at twelve o'clock to-night, cause he was comin' off to her then in his launch with a friend. Friend! And he laughed and winked his starboard eye. I didn't say much, bein' too busy thinkin', but Ben went on tellin' about other cruises with friends. Oh, a steam-yacht can be a first-class imitation of hell if the right imp owns her henry got speaking of one time down along the main coast but says i referring to what he was tellin', if she was such a nice girl and come from such nice folks how how do i know says he promises to marry and such kind of lies i suppose and the plain facts is that he's really engaged to marry a swell girl in newport he told me her name and a lot more about her i tried to remember the most of it but my head was whirling and not from cherry rum either. All I could think was Oh Bet, it's up to you. You got to do something. I was mighty glad when the sailors hailed from the shore, and Ben had to go. He most cried when he said goodbye, and went away, steppin' high and bringin' his heels down hard. I watched the dinghy row off, the tide was out, so there was barely water for her to get clear, and then I went back home to think and I thought all the afternoon. Two and two made four. any way I could add it up, but twas all suspicion and no real proof. That was the Dickens of it. I couldn't speak to Phoebe Ann. She wouldn't believe me if I did. I couldn't telegraph Captain Eben at Provincetown to come home that night. I'd have to tell him the whole thing, and I knew his temper. So, for Barbara's sake, not do. I couldn't be at the shore to stop the launch leavin', what right had i to stop another man's launch even no twas up to me and i thought and thought till after supper time and then i had a plan a risky chance but a chance just the same i went up to the store and bought four feet of medium-sized rubber hose and some rubber tape same as they sell to bicycle fellers in the summer twas almost dark when i got back inside of my shanty and instead of going to it, I jumped that board fence that me and Prince had negotiated for, hustled along the path, past the notice boards, and went down the bluff on t'other side of Davidson's pant. And there, in the deep hole by the end of the little pier, out of sight of the house on shore, was Allie's launch. By what little light there was left, I could see the brass rail shinin', But I didn't stop to admire them. I give one look around, Nobody was in sight. Then I ran down the pier and jumped aboard. Almost the first thing I put my hand on was what I was looking for, the bilge pump. Twas a small affair that you could lug around in one hand, but mighty handy for keeping a boat of that kind dry. I fitted one end of my hose to the lower end of that pump and wrapped rubber tape around the gent till she sucked when I tried her over the side. Then I turned on the cocks in the gasoline pipes, fore and aft, and I noticed that the carburetor feed cup was chocked full. Then I was ready for business. I went forward, climbing over the little low cabin that was just big enough for a man to crawl into, till I reached the brass cap in the deck over the gasoline tank. Then I unscrewed the cap, run my hose down into the tank, and commenced to pump good fourteen cents a gallon gasoline overboard to beat the cars. "'Twas a thirty-gallon tank, and full up. "'I begun to think I'd never get her empty, but I did, finally. "'I pumped her dry. "'Then I screwed the cap on again and went home, "'taking Allie's bilge pump with me, "'for I couldn't stop to unship the hose. "'The tide was coming in fast. "'At nine o'clock that night I was in my skiff, "'rowing off to where my powerboat laid in deep water, "'back of the bar. When I reached her, I made the skiff fast astern, lit a lantern, which I put in a locker under a thwart, and set still in the pitch dock, smokin' and waitin'. 'Twas "'Twas a long, wearisome wait. There was a northwest wind coming up, and the waves was running pretty choppy on the bar. All I could think of was that gasoline. Was there enough in the pipes and the feed-cup on that launch to carry her out to where I was? Or was there too much, and would she make the yacht after all? It got to be eleven o'clock. Tide was full at twelve. I was a pretty good candidate for the crazy house by this time. I'd listened till my eardrums felt slack, like they needed reefing. And then, at last, I heard her come. Chuff, 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 chuff. And how she did come. She walked up abreast of me, went past me a hundred yards or so off. Thinks I it's all up, he's going to make it. And then, all at once, the chuff-chuffing stopped. Started up and stopped again. I gave a hurrah in my mind, pulled the skiff up alongside, and jumped into her, taking the lantern with me under my coat. Then I set the light between my feet, picked up the oars, and started rowing. I rowed quiet as I could, but he heard me for I got to him i heard a scrambling noise off ahead, and then a shaky voice hollers hello who who's that it's me says i rowing harder than ever who are you what's the row there was more scrambling and a slam like a door shutting in another two minutes i was alongside the launch and held up my lantern allie was there fussing with his engine and he was all alone alone he was i say fur as a body could see but he was mighty shaky and frightened also also sight of him on the cushions was a girl's jacket and i thought i'd seen that jacket afore hello says i is that you mr davidson thought you gone to boston changed my mind he says got any gasoline what you doing off here this time of night i says going out to my-he stopped i s'pose the truth choked him i was going to provincetown he went on got any gasoline what in the nation you starting to provincetown in the middle of the night for i asked innocent as could be oh thunder i had business there that's all got any gasoline i made my skiff painters fast to a cleat on the launch and climbed aboard gasoline says i gasoline why yes i've got some gasoline over on my power-boat out yonder has yours give out I should think you'd fill your tank before you left home on such a trip as Provincetown. Maybe the pipe's plugged or something. Have you looked? And I caught hold of the handle of the cabin door. He jumped and grabbed me by the arm. Tain't plugged. He yells sharp. The tank's empty, I tell you. He kept pulling me away from the cabin, but I hung on to the handle. You can't be too sure, I says. This door's locked. Give me the key.' I, uh, I left the key at home, he says. Don't waste time. Go over to your boat and fetch me some gasoline. I'll pay you well for it. Then I was sartin' of what I suspicioned. The cabin was locked, but not with the key. That was in the keyhole. The door was bolted on the inside. All right, says I. I'll sell you the gasoline, but you'll have to go with me in the skiff to get it. "'Get your anchor over, or this craft'll drift to Easton. Hurry up!' He didn't like the idea of leaving the launch, but I wouldn't hear of anything else. While he was heaving the anchor, I commenced to talk to him. "'I didn't know, but what you'd started for foreign parts to meet that Newport girl you're going to marry, I says, and I spoke good and loud. he jumped, so I thought he'd fall overboard.' "'Was that?' he shouts." "'Why, that girl you're engaged to,' says I, Miss—' and, uh, and I yelled her name, and how she'd gone abroad with his folks and all. "'Shut up!' he whispers, waving his hand, frantic. "'Don't stop to lie. Hurry up!' Tain't T'a a lie! Oh, I know about it!' I hollers, as if he was deaf. Ah, "'I meant to be heard, by him and anybody else that might be interested. "'I give a whole lot more particulars, too.' he fairly shoved me into the skiff after a spell. Now, he says, so mad he could hardly speak, stop your lying and row, will you? I was willing to row then. I calculated I'd done some missionary work by this time. Allie's guns was spiked, if I knew Barbara Saunders. I panted the skiff the way she'd ought to go and laid to the oars. My plan had been to get him aboard the skiff and row somewheres, ashore if I could, but twas otherwise laid out for me. The wind was blowing pretty fresh, and the skiff was down by the stern, so's the waves kept knocking her nose round. Twas in the a pocket, too. I couldn't tell where I was going. Allie got more fidgety every minute. "'Ain't we most there?' he asked, and then he gives a screech. "'What's that ahead?' I turned to see, and as I'd done it, the skiff's bow slid up on something. I'd give an awful yank at the port oar. She slewed and tilted. A wave caught her underneath, and the next thing I knew, me and Allie and skiff was under water, bound for the bottom. We'd run across one of the guy ropes of my fish weir. This want not in the program. I hit sand with a bump and pawed up for air. When I got my head out, I see a water wheel doing business close alongside of me. It was Allie. Help! He howls. Help! I'm drowning. I got him by the collar. I took one stroke and bumped against the weir nets. You know what a fish weir's like, don't you, Mr. Brown? A kind of pound made of nets hung on ropes and between poles. Help! Yells Allie, clawing the nets. I can't swim in rough water. You might have known he couldn't. It looked sort of dubious for a jiffy. Then I had an idea. I dragged him to the nighest weir pole. Climb, I hollers in his ear, climb that pole. he done it, somehow, digging his toes into the net and going up like a cat up a tree. When he got to the top, he hung across the rope and shook. Hang on there, says I. I'm going after the boat. And I struck out. He yelled to me not to leave him, but the weir had given me my bearings, and I was bound for my powerboat. "'Twas a tough swim, but I made it and climbed aboard, not feeling in it too happy. Losing a good skiff was more'n I'd figured on. Soon as I got some breath, I hauled anchor, started up my engine, and headed back for the weir. I ran alongside of it, keeping a good lookout for guy ropes, and when I got abreast of that particular pole, I looked for Allie. He was setting on the rope, a straddle of the pole, and hanging on to the top of it like I owed him money. He looked a good deal more comfortable than I was when he and Prince had treed me, and the remembrance of that time come back to me, and one of them things they call inspiration come with it. He was four feet above water, twas full tide then, and if he sat still he was safe as a church. So instead of running in after him I slowed way down and backed off. "'Come here,' he yells, "'come here, you fool, and take me aboard!' Oh, I don't know, says I. You're safe there, and even if the yacht folks don't come hunting for you by and by, which I calculate they will, that tide'll be low enough in five hours or so, and you can walk ashore. What, what do you mean, he says? Ain't you going to take me off? I was, says I, but I've changed my plans. And Mr. Alley Vander Whatcher Name Davidson, there's other things, low-down, mean things— planned for this night that ain't going to come off either. Understand that, do you?' He understood, I guess. He didn't answer at all, only gurgled like he'd swallowed something the wrong way. Then the beautiful tit-for-tat of the whole business come to me, and I couldn't help rubbing it in a little. As a sartin' acquaintance of mine once said to me, "'I says you look a good deal handsomer up there than you do in a boat.' you you etc and so forth continued in our next says he or words to that effect that's all right says i putting on the power you've got no kick coming i allow you to er um, ornament my weir pole and tain't every dude i'd let do that and i went away and as the fifth reader used to say let him alone in his glory i went back to the launch pulled up her anchor, and took her in tow. I towed her in to her pier, made her fast, and then left for a while. When I come back, the little cabin door was open, and the girl's jacket was gone. Then I walked up the path to the Saunders' house, and it done me good to see a light in Barbara's window. I sat on the steps of that house until morning, keepin' watch. And in the morning the yacht was gone, and the weirpole was vacant, and Captain Eben Saunders come on the first train. So that's all there is of it. Allie ain't come back to Bayport since, and the last I heard he'd married that Newport girl. She has my sympathy, if that's any comfort to her. And Barbara? Well, for a long time she'd turn white every time I met her. But of course I kept my mouth shut, and she went to sea next voyage with her dad, and now I hear she's engaged to a nice feller up to Boston. Oh, yes, one more thing. When I got back to my shanty that morning, I wiped the chalk mark off the door. I kind of figured that I'd paid that debt with back interest added. End of story six.